0: Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And
1: I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, music to heal our wounded souls and our wounded world. A church in Haydenville with a reputation for radical inclusivity, activism and compassion, as well as some pretty great music, will lead us in an interfaith song circle to mourn the continuing loss of life and ongoing devastation of Gaza. At the church this weekend, we'll hear from Haydenville Congregational Church's music director, Mayor Berger.
0: And another word of the year. Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster in Springfield, will tell us about the American Dialect Society's slightly saucy choice for their word of the year.
1: But first, affordable housing in the 413. Since 1988, Valley Community Development has worked on addressing the needs of our community through economic and housing development. Valley CDC Community Development Corporation, not Center for Disease Control, <laughs> serves Hamden, Hampshire, and Franklin counties for home ownership and small business services, but focuses on Amherst, Hadley, Northampton, and East Hampton primarily when it comes to affordable housing development.
0: We're sure you have to field that a whole bunch for right. a reason. Yeah, Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Valley CDC has, to date, built or preserved over 400 affordable homes and apartments in our community. And continues to build affordable housing because they believe housing is a human right and that there is a dire need in our region. They have taught, counseled, and helped almost 9,000 people in our er- area in their home ownership journey, supporting them in building equity through informed decision making.
1: And because they know that small businesses help make communities vibrant, they've also worked with almost 3,000 business owners and entrepreneurs, helping them take ideas into reality. their new-ish Executive Director is
0: Alexis Breitniger. Alexis comes to Valley Community Development Corporation after almost eight years at Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, CISA, who you might know about through our show because we talk to them every week. Yes, where she served as director of development. But before that, Alexis was in the development ma- was the development manager for the Trustees of Reservations and worked for the Melville Charitable Trust in Boston.
1: Maybe you should help them put a sculpture, a statue in New Bedford, <gasps> like was in the newscast that we heard. <laughs> Alexis, and then we'll
0: take it out to see. <laughs> yeah,
1: Alexis has also considerable experience working with nonprofit organizations that support low-income communities with an emphasis on finding solutions to homelessness. Welcome to Fabulous 413,
2: Alexis. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Yay.
1: We we knew each other through CISA and then Indeed. ran e- to each other in the East Hampton Co-op. Indeed. To, uh, to welcome you onto this show to talk about the great work that you're now doing with this other wonderful organization, Valley CDC.
2: Yes.
0: And there's a pile of things that you're involved in and that have recently happened. We're going to try and get to all of them because they are all really cool. One of the ones, we're going to skip around, but one of the really cool ones that you brought up is that you're converting a a building in Northampton to affordable housing, and it's going to be heated with geothermal.
2: Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, I'm going to back up just a second and do like a little bit of place setting about why affordable housing is even needed, if that's okay. Sure, yeah. So in um, the western part of the state of Massachusetts, where we are right now, there's about 3,000 people who are homeless on any given night. That number is a little bit stale because it came out in the beginning of January of 2023. I would say from, like, ears on the ground, it's probably gone up mm-hmm. since then, um, given what's going on in the world. Um, so... And there's a shortage of about 11,000 units um, for the number of people. So there's a big gap between how many people need affordable housing and how much affordable housing is available. But not all the
1: people that need affordable housing are homeless, right? Right. 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 Yes,
2: absolutely. Um, It is... Yes. So there's this gap of about 11,000 units. And Valley Community Development Corporation, we're pretty small. There's 11 of us. (laughs) Uh, There's three people working in the real estate department. One for every thousand that needs housing. Um, With a fourth fellow who's joined us, which is amazing. Um, But we obviously can't solve the problem by ourselves. So I want to note that there's a number of other organizations that are working on this in the affordable housing sphere. Um, But our niche seems to be... um, certain communities in Hampshire County. And so now I'm gonna talk about the nursing home that you just brought up, please, which is, um, the for folks who know Northampton, there's the former Northampton nursing home on Bridge Road. It's been abandoned and vacant since, I don't know when, about 12 years-ish. Valley bought it about two years ago and we're going to convert it to 60 units of affordable housing, which is huge for us. And it's huge for the community of Northampton. The city has been a tremendous supporter of ours. And the super cool thing that Calise just mentioned is that we're doing geothermal to heat the building. So what that is going to involve is boring down into the ground somewhere around 400 feet, like 40 times, creating these crazy small wells that are then going to like take the energy of the earth and Forgive me that I do not know all the technicalities around this. (laughs) You're not a geothermal expert? I am not, but I actually have someone on staff who could probably do a far (laughs) better job than I am about explaining this. But it's taking the Earth's energy, essentially, and converting it into heat and cooling. And this is not used in multifamilies in Massachusetts because it's expensive to put in. Yeah. However, it's not that expensive to run compared to other systems, and it breaks far less frequently. Um, So we got a $2 million grant from the state through Department of Energy to help subsidize the geothermal. Otherwise, it's you can't you can't do it.
1: Did, was it specifically geared for geothermal for affordable housing, or was it just like, hey, try to put in a building that has geothermal?
2: So no, we applied specifically to fund the geothermal. The grant was for any sort of like energy retrofit or uh-huh. energy energy efficiency. This is what we wanted to use it for because we knew we couldn't make the funding streams work otherwise because it's stupid expensive. Yeah. (laughs) No offense to everybody who's trying to like get people to put in heat pumps, but it's really expensive. Yeah.
0: We were talking with the five colleges earlier, like last year, about like their efforts and the sheer volume that UMass has to try to do, UMass Amherst has to try to do to make it worthwhile is insane and their field is I would believe when they talked to us was like 600 or 700 wells. Yeah, yeah, and the crazy. amount they were spending on it was nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And this is, I mean, it's a 72,000 square foot building mm. so there's a lot of energy that's going to need to be in there to keep it at the temperature we're required to keep it at for tenants.
1: So this is a unique situation where it's a former nursing home that you're putting geothermal in. Is that usually the affordable housing that you're working with in a, specifically Hampshire County is what mm-hmm. Valley CDC is doing? How, how is most of the affordable housing coming online? Alex Brightnicker, who is the executive director of Valley CDC.
2: Sure. So we have a mixture of new builds and renovations. Um, the nursing home is a is a rehab. We're keeping the outside essentially, and the entire inside is getting redone. Um, we have new stuff happening. So we just finished building and. Have, to have folks leased up in Amherst. We did 28 studios there right next to Amherst College, if folks are familiar with that. It's a beautiful blue building. Um, that is studios, so small, like 300 square feet. Um, deeply affordable, so most of the folks in there are pretty low income. Um, And that building is actually Passive House certified, which is a whole nother like realm of energy efficiency and environmental sustainability. It means the walls are super thick. We had to order special windows and special doors to keep the energy in. There was all sorts of seal testing about air exchange and airflow. But what it means is hopefully the amount of energy it takes to heat and cool it is reduced because we've put in all of these like, you know, really beefy insulation. Um, There's also, you know, we could only use certain types of paint because there's all these thresholds around what passive house means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was new construction ground up, um, which is what we tend to build because often trying to retrofit existing buildings is, can be more expensive. Um, And sometimes it doesn't quite meet the needs. So what one of my staff always says is that the world of affordable housing development is um, really dependent on site and stuff tends to come to us. Um, and then we see if we can make it work. Like, does it work financially? Does it work for the tenants? Does it work for the community? Um, as you may or may not know, um, we had a little bit of a debacle in Hadley when we bought the former Econo Lodge. Yeah. Um, so-
1: Which is what now?
2: So right now it's housing Craig Stores. Um, Which they, is a shelter. It's a, right. Yep, they um, have a number of folks who are coming out of homelessness, um, staying there. So Craig's Doors is renting space from us while we like get our ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. And part of getting those ducks in a row was going to the Zoning Board of Hadley and trying and asking them for essentially a, a permit to be able to convert it from a hotel to housing. And they said, no, <laughs> Why did? That, what, what, what was their excuse?
1: Why did they say no? So
2: they said no, because so that the zoning board is um, they're not elected body. Um, it was it was three people who um, did what they felt like was the will of co- the community, which was we don't really need affordable housing in Hadley. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs>
0: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of any town saying that they don't need affordable housing sends a very specific message to a lot of its population. It does. Period. It
2: <laughs> does. Um, So we had a lot of support in town and this was the deciding this was like the decision-making body and they said no. So we then appealed their decision and we ultimately prevailed in that appeal. So the exciting news is that we can move forward. Yay! The bummer news was that we had to go through that whole rigmarole of like some like pretty unpleasant times.
0: (laughs) But that also like set you back in terms of like getting people lined up to like do the reconstruction, getting like the prices that you were originally quoted for, for any of the supplies that you need, like the amount of setback that you like, it's just, there are so many other repercussions for that one small decision. So, so
2: even that delay, like with the, the nursing home, um, in Northampton? In Northampton, thank you. We'd applied for funding and weren't awarded, and so then we had to apply again. And just that seven-month delay increased the price by, for the project by almost $5 million. Wow. Whoa. So it's big, right? Like, we're talking 60 units, 72,000 square feet. So, like, each little dollar that gets added to each little thing, like, incremental, like, explosion. Um, but you're totally right that any setback... Right now, in this market, is going to make things more expensive, um, and more expensive means we're cobbling together more sources of funding, um, and it just makes it harder all around. And as I just said, we have this crisis right now of you know this shortage of units, people that are homeless, increasing numbers of people who are homeless, and so like my staff were all like, "Let's make it happen now! We want it <laughs> happen!" Like, and then with the like the world is like, "Oh, it's going to take seven to nine years." Aye, aye,
1: aye. <laughs> Well, we're going to hear more from Alexis Breitnicher, the Executive Director of Valley Community Development Corporation. We're going to hear about how they work with the Fellowship for Equitable Affordable Housing and increasing work with BIPOC housing developers and more.
0: You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on 885 NEPM.
1: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. We're here with Alexis Breitnecker, who is the Executive Director for Valley Community Development Corporation. We're talking about affordable housing, specifically with your work in affordable housing in Hampshire County. You did mention, uh, I think off the air, that Springfield, where we are right now, kind of sets the rate for what affordable housing means all up and down this area. Can you t- compare and contrast what, what that means and what it means for affordable housing in, say, Northampton versus affordable housing in, say, Springfield?
2: Sure. So... Uh, this is a little into the weeds, but the um, how organizations are able to charge for rents is set by something called the fair market rent, and they're tied to metro statistical areas, and Northampton is in the Springfield metro statistical area, and that means that rents are a little bit lower than they are in other parts of the state. So, what we as an organization can co- collect in rent is, is capped. Um, At at certain rates. It usually goes up every year. Sometimes it goes down. It's tied to all sorts of complicated formulas. Um, But what is true is that costs, um, like day to day costs of electricity and um, like propane and natural gas and repair costs, are all the same in Western Mass as they are in Eastern Mass, more or less. But the amount of money that we're able to collect and rent is dramatically lower because of these rent prices. <clears throat> what that means for us as an organization who provides deeply affordable housing to people is that we are not able to um, build up enough reserves often, particularly in older properties that require a lot of maintenance to then do the maintenance. No. <laughs> and that's that's hard for us. It's hard for people um, who own affordable housing because we want to make sure that our tenants are living in the best possible spaces. And when we run into these discrepancies between what we're able to collect and rent and what we actually need to maintain our properties, um, it sometimes doesn't make for the best situation. And the state has been very, very gung-ho about creation of new housing, which is 100% needed. And there's been this sort of like... Shoved to the side a little bit of like let's keep what we already have. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, uh, somebody who owns almost 100 and we have uh, almost 110 units right now, we want to make sure that those stay in really good condition and that we're doing the best job we can to make sure our tenants are happy where they're at. And this is this is an ongoing challenge. It's not unique to us. It's u- it's unique to parts of Western Mass, really more rural parts of the state where mm. the rents just don't quite match up.
0: For the construction that you're doing, um, there's a lot of like very eco-conscious, very environmentally friendly initiatives that you have in place for this construction. With that lack of funding that you're getting, does that create some sort of friction in the new places that you're trying to build and what you decide to do with them?
2: Yeah. So like I said, it's, it's really so dependent on site and what we often are trying to do. So for an example, um, I'll talk about another property that the city of Northampton um sold to Valley for one dollar. <laughs> this weird little chunk of land right behind City Hall in downtown Northampton. Oh, yes. um, oh yeah. Um on Crafts Avenue. And we have to look at that, I don't, architects do, look at that space and say like, what can we fit in there that then once people move in, we know we'll cover costs of the building. Right. So it is this weird slotting in uh, and trying to make it work within what the potential footprint is gonna be. So that building is gonna be tall and we're gonna cram in a bunch of single unit uh, occupancy, so efficiencies essentially in that building. Because without doing that, It doesn't work financially. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you make it look like a castle so it'll match City Hall in Northampton? Wouldn't that
2: be amazing? (laughs) (laughs) Just put
1: finials on
0: it
2: everywhere.
1: We're speaking with Alexis Brightniker, who is the executive director of Valley CDC. Tell us about your partnership with the Fellowship for Equitable Affordable Housing and the aim of increasing BIPOC developers to be working with.
2: Absolutely. So Valley is, um, I believe, the only Western Mass CDC taking part of this fellowship program. Um, It's. Uh, or it originated with an organization, a CDC in the Eastern part of the state who realized like, oh, so we do all this affordable housing development. And I think nationwide only 5% of affordable housing developers are actually BIPOC. Mm -hmm. So who lives in our properties? It's majority actually for our properties, it's majority Hispanic with the second highest rate of folks who are black. And then we have white folks in there. Um, So if all of the affordable housing developers look like me, but we're serving folks who don't look like me, like that's a that's an issue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this the fellowship program was really made to um, train BIPOC folks in the realm of affordable housing, which is, as you could imagine, pretty niche, pretty weird. <laughs> Not a lot of people like grow up saying like, oh, I'm going to be an affordable housing developer, <laughs> but they should because it's actually super cool. <laughs> it, is. it is really, really um, cool. So the fellowship program is really like a, a training program to get more folks um into affordable housing space.
3: That's wonderful. Yes,
2: and we're thrilled we have a fellow with us for the next two years. Cool.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we should talk about how the Valley CDC interacts with the recently proposed bond bill. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: $4.1 billion back in October from Moore Healy's office.
2: Indeed. So the housing bond bill comes out every five years. Um, This is the largest bond bill that's ever been proposed. As an affordable housing developer, we're pretty thrilled about it. Like, all of the things that we want to see in it are in it. Um, There's some pieces that, like, maybe don't work so great for Western Mass. Um, One of them being there's this transfer tax that when somebody sells, a home over a certain price, some of that money would go then into a pool to fund affordable housing development. So the threshold for that in Western Mass is too high. It's a million dollars. Like there's not a whole lot of homes that are getting sold for a million dollars in Western Mass. Uh-huh. It works great for the Boston area. Right, so right. that's one of the things that we're like, well, this is great idea. And could you maybe change it a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some other pieces that like are really great in theory, but don't have money attached to them, like creating a pool Um, for supportive services, which is like case management type stuff that Mm. a lot of folks who are coming out of uh, a background with trauma or um, coming off the streets need case management and you need support services. And it's something that's often dramatically underfunded. So that that's in the bond bill, but there's no money attached to that. Uh So like my pessimistic side says, well, that means it's not going to happen. So, you know, (laughs) we're pushing to get money attached to those (laughs) sort of things. Um, So there's actually the first... um, hearing for the bond bill next week on the 18th at the State statehouse, um, you can listen in <laughs> or you can write in testimony or you can go testify, which I probably am going to do because it's super important. Most of the pieces, the funding streams that affordable housing developers use are in that bond bill. So if it doesn't go or if it doesn't go with the amount of money, there's not like you just can't create housing. There, There isn't like an alternative source. You cannot use philanthropy, for example, to build the 40,000 units that the Healy office is proposing need to get built in Massachusetts. Mm, Like the foundations are not going to cut it. Private donations are not going to cut it. You need these big state and federal subsidies. And that's what's in the bond bill.
1: Alexis Breitniker, the executive director of Valley Community Development Corporation. Thanks so much for joining us. Later in the show, an interfaith concert at a church in Haydenville where the community will sing and grieve for Gaza. We'll chat with music director Mayor Berger.
0: Up next, yet another organization of word nerds has chosen yet another word of the year. We'll talk with our word nerd, Emily Brewster, about the American Dialect Society's word of 2023.
1: You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on 885 NEPM.
4: Happy New Year! Happy New Year!
1: Happy New year. <laughs>
4: How was the how was the break? Did you get everything done that you no, had to get done?
0: No, not remotely. <laughs>
1: Same. Oh. <laughs> I was going to install a hardwood floor, but I couldn't get the lumber people to get back to me. So then I just sat on my couch and watched Kung Fu movies mostly.
0: I meant to start a knitting project, but instead I just finished a really long,
1: depressing book for another project I'm doing, and then baked a lot of cookies. Yeah.
4: Well, happy New Year. Happy, happy New, New Year. New year. <laughs> Dude,
1: are we going to talk about that email I sent you, or what? Should do? What do you want to do?
4: We'll talk about that next time. But this time, the American Dialect Society just had their Word of the Year vote.
1: Oh, oh cool. Okay, cool.
4: I I don't want to tell. You what it is but i want to ask you uh, like i know there are certain words we're not allowed to say on the radio mm-hmm. can i replace one with its german equivalent
1: i think we I, we're gonna have to make this happen right
4: i feel like that's fine like the people who know i think well, i'm like, gonna have to tell you the whole word okay the whole word there the word of the year is identification. <laughs> so i i thought maybe we could call it and, and, shisification. Shisification. and shisification, or we could call
1: it inshootification, because nobody has any problem with the word shoot, but every time anybody I feel like says Americans shoot, should
0: really have more problems with
1: the oh, word. Oh, absolutely, shoot. <laughs> but they always yes. mean. And if we
0: say inshootification, people will think that we are actually killing guns. people. We've had,
1: right.
4: yeah. we've already well, had how many mass shootings what, what this about year? we on then? the ninth? What about well, in... and in shisification is is really true to the to the words construction. It is. Okay, I was going to say
1: poopification. I thought about no, And,
0: and shiesification is also relatively close to the original in a way that still is is fun and fun to say and easier to say than in poopification.
1: Right. Well, now we've <laughs> revealed what the word of the year is. Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield. We talked about your word of the year, which was authentic. We talked about Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year.
4: Which was riz, trying to get in with the youngins.
1: Yeah. What is this um, <laughs> other organization that we're going to talk about their word of the year?
4: This is... Is the organization that started word of the year as a phenomenon Ooh. it's the american dialect society uh-huh. and they chose their first word of the year in 1990.
1: what was it do you remember
4: 1990 was bush lips i don't know meaning I... insincere <laughs> political rhetoric wow because oh, like that trick
1: george hw that... bush yes. oh read my lips read my lips my- Okay. Cool. Yep.
4: Now, this the American Dialect Society is a you know volunteer organization. Anybody can be a member, but it is really a society for linguists and other people who have a great interest in language. Are you a so, member? So uh, I am a member. Yes. Nice. Yay. Uh, I did not go to the to the annual meeting, which is where this happens. There were I think two hundred people who. Voted on the different words that had been nominated, and there are a lot of different categories. It's a playful event, but these are people who are involved uh, with language for a living: linguists, mm-hmm. lexicographers, etymologists, grammarians, researchers, writers.
1: It's like a nerd so, conference for word nerds, a comic con.
4: Very much a, so. I have
0: a song for you, for grammarians. Do you? <laughs> yeah. What really? is it? Tongue clucking grammarians by MC Frontalot. Oh, cool. Go. Go. Try, try, well,
4: Tongue-clucking grammarians. Yeah. That sounds, yeah.
1: <laughs> so this year, this American Dialect Society has voted which word?
4: The word is enshisification. So
1: <laughs> people out there, you know what she's replacing it with, even though the American Dialect Society used the real deal four-letter word that George Carlin talked about that we would get in trouble with if we said it on the radio right now. Indeed.
4: And it is defined as the worsening of a digital platform through reduction in quality of service. Oh, oh. so so the X move, yeah, yeah and among others. Among I mean, others. It's, this is this is a term that was coined by uh, Cory Doctorow, who is that tracks. A, uh, he's a, a scholar and a writer and a blogger, and he used it on know on twitter maybe or somewhere else and people just grasped this word instantly and started using everybody grocked the word as the kids say and um and is the thing it. that i found on
1: formerly twitter for the first time ever yesterday what the heck does that word really mean? only
4: yesterday yeah
1: i was really? i know who Gronk is after the touchdown personal foul number 87 but i don't know what grok is
0: Grok is kind of i i feel like grok is a it is equivalent to Glomp, but...
4: I don't know like, what either of those are. <laughs> I don't know what Glomp is. Oh, um, Grok is much older than Gronk, by the way. And uh, it was coined by um, Robert A. Heinlein in uh, in Stranger in a Strange Land, written in 1961.
1: Oh, and what so do, it's, what it's, does it mean? it's a
4: word that that derives from Martian.
1: Well, then why on Twitter? So grok is like the name of a bot that will like write things for you, I think, like a chat GPT type
4: thing. Oh, I don't know about that look. one. I just know the verb grok, how I used it. It means to understand profoundly and intuitively.
1: Ah, so that makes sense that they would name some sort of bot that on formerly it Twitter, sure which has been enchisified, which is the word that we're really <laughs> talking about right now. The yes. American Dialect Society's word of 2023.
4: Yes. So Corey Doctorow, this is how he, d- how he talked about it. Here is how platforms die. First, they are good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves. Then they die. I call this and
1: But he didn't say scheissification.
4: I kind of like it in German better. I don't I think it's really good in German And actually one of the things That appeals to me About this word Is that its construction Is very Germanic mm-hmm. Right It's got like the The N prefix it, Right it, like it, it reads like a German word You know They've got words like Lebensmittelgeschäft Meaning grocery store Right They they, just, <laughs> they string all these syllables Together all the time And that's just how That language does it And this word is very much In keeping with that Kind of building
1: But we're not talking about German or other languages Right now We're talking about The American Dialect Society America who has picked this word. What other, we've talked about Twitter and even about how it has been in by changing its name to X and also now has a Gronk feature on there that says it's an intelligent AI bot that will answer all your questions for you a la Siri or whatever. What else pushed and to to the top of the list of the American Dialect Society.
4: Well, unlike in the Merriam-Webster word of the year, it wasn't chosen because it, the word was used in a lot of different contexts. It's because this word resonated with people so much, but not just because of Twitter. People say that this is, you know, and, and scheissification has also happened on Amazon. And how old is Bandcamp? Like People think that Reddit yeah. has been ensheissified. In- uh, people I mean, are seeing it in Reddit digital started, platforms everywhere.
0: started in the mud to begin with. Don't go on Reddit, people.
1: Yeah. And Facebook kind (laughs) of used to be fun and now it just feels weird and boring and like, yeah, I don't know.
0: It's mostly ads now. There's very little in between there. There's no real platform that's populated and fun,
4: I feel like. I'm going back to MySpace. Oh my God. Wow. That's a take. This vote was, you know, there are a number of words were nominated and they also have lots of different categories. We have lots of things to talk about here. What other categories are there? Well, there's most likely to succeed. <laughs> there is um, political word of the year, digital oh. word of the year, informal word of the year, acronym slash initialism of the year, for those who distinguish the two. Yeah. AI related word of the year, most creative word of the year, euphemism of the year. Oh. And that's it. Pick
1: through those categories of a couple that you really thought were, were particularly good. Like, and, I kind of want to know the euphemism I
4: mean of the me year. too okay let's skip to the euphemism <laughs> of the year there were five nominees maybe you can guess which one won uh stenographer defined as journalists seen as uncritically reporting statements made by officials and others in power mm, I like that <laughs> effective altruism movement ostensibly to benefit humanity used as an excuse for spending other people's money <laughs> um, artificial intelligence computerized simulation of human intelligence that is not actually intelligent uh. mm. Another one: uh, structurally restrictive housing, solitary confinement rebranded by the New York City Department of Yuck. Correction.
1: Yuck! I hate that and one. And
4: freebird, alternative to empty nester, promoted by <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I like that one. Which one won?
0: I mean, AI won, but like... Did it?
4: The artificial intelligence you think is the euphemism of the year, uh, Please, I
0: mean, I don't like it. It's not the one that I want to win.
4: <laughs> but
1: is, is it? Is it the
4: one that won? No. The okay. one that won is... I think the one that is is the truest euphemism: structurally restrictive housing, oh, as yeah. a term used for solitary confinement. I that mean, is like classic euphemism, right? The yeah. institution, oh, yeah. some some wrongdoer renames the wrong they are doing <laughs> with a name that is is more palatable somehow. Structurally restrictive housing. Yes. Oh.
1: Were there yeah. other of okay. those categories that Emily Brewster mentioned before we jump away from this that you wanted to hear the the winner for their Khalees?
4: I mean, I'm curious about the political word of the year. Me also. too. Okay. I slash P is shorthand for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Mm. Next one is hot labor summer slash hot union summer. (laughs) (laughs) The summer of 2023, when a number of unions went on strike. Here's another one. Context, word invoked by presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn to questions at a house hearing about prohibiting speech on campus. Yikes. And then the other one is a wa- the, just the watermelon emoji. It's a symbol of Palestinian solidarity used on social media.
1: Ah, wow. That's interesting because I didn't know about that until pretty recently, too. So that's kind of fascinating. What won one in that category? The emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, well done. American Dialect Society. Yeah.
4: I'm so
0: glad that I know that this organization exists now. <laughs> yeah,
1: they seem like a ton of fun. Right? And we're speaking with Emily Brewster, our resident Worcester and member of the American Dialect Society from Merriam-Webster in Springfield. And uh, w- the official word of the year, was in inscheisification although thesche is us using the German instead of the English for what they really actually voted for is there more interesting things on that particular word Emily Brewster
4: um no but there are other runners up that we could talk about but maybe we could just quickly run through the most creative word of the year category oh, yes oh yeah there there are um there are four delightful nominees how about delulu? Meaning delusion. Oh, as in, I as in de Delulu that. is the Salulu. <laughs> yes. Delusion is the solution. I, that's just fun <laughs> to I say. I like that.
1: That is fun to say. I
4: do like yeah. Delulu. Delulu. All right. Another one Tush Push. Quarterback sneak for short yardage perfected by the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, this was
1: awesome. I love that this happened this year, and I love that other teams tried to do it, and they couldn't do it as well as the Eagles. Really funny. And it's,
4: it's also called the Brotherly Shove. They're back in BS territory. Brotherly Shove, that is.
1: And it's a first down. City of Brotherly Shove. <laughs> like, so, so that just like is,
0: is extra funny, because right before we started talking, I was looking. Somebody made a meme about a letter that Chopin wrote, and historians trying to make him basically... Saying I'd love to make out with you to this dude as heterosexual as possible, and that's kind of what brotherly shove sounds yeah. like to me. <laughs> it's like no, just just let it be queer. It's totally
4: embrace fun. the queerness of it. Right. All right. Another one in the most creative word of the year category is Renaissance. <laughs> the Renaissance in the wake of the Barbie movie's depiction of Ken.
1: The Renaissance. Oh.
4: Renaissance. Yeah. Other other words in that same realm uh, that were not actually nominated were Kenergy and Kanaf.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's the thing: You're not supposed to put all the attention on Ken. I'm guilty because I dressed up as Ken one day during the march. Get it? But it's a Barbie movie, man. He's supposed to be made fun of. He's not supposed to get three words well, like, that people I mean, focus on. It's
0: not. I mean, we're, we're kind of spoiling it. But like, it is not the movie in no small part about? Ken attempting to get more more attention yes. to himself
1: well done Ken <laughs> I even got a mojo dojo casa house candle from somebody as a holiday gift
5: Please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you earned that candle I think you did
5: this shall henceforth be known
4: as Ken's mojo dojo casa house
0: you don't have to say dojo
4: and house and casa but you do because it feels good is that
1: all the creative
4: ones well there's one more just the one that I'm not really sure I can say um it's a—it's uh, not as Holocene, um, meaning the current era of human history defined by the ubiquity of as-holes. <laughs>
1: ah, I see. We've yeah. arrived in that era, I, I, I do I, believe. Barbie just needed yeah, more There are mo- also more some words. good
4: acronyms and initialisms of the year. Some of them you know. Okay, here's here's the only one that I don't, that is unfamiliar to me. <laughs> MOOP, which stands for Matter Out of Place. Waste material left behind at an event, especially Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, there was a Seinfeld joke where they were playing trivia, and the answer was the Moors, but it was misprinted on the card as the Moops. That's not Moops, you jerk. It's Moors. It's a misprint. I'm sorry, the card says Moops. And so that became like a 1990s meme where people would say, oh, I'm sorry, it's the Moops. So what were the runners-up for the actual American Dialect Society Word of the Year, which we have uh, now euphemized ourselves in some ways as encheissification, Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster. Yeah.
4: Baby girl, defined specifically as an older male fictional character or celebrity seen as emotionally damaged, helpless, or vulnerable.
0: I did everything right and they indicted me.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ceasefire. Rallying cry for those seeking a stoppage of hostilities in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm.
4: Context, we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, was also a nominee. The word derogatory in parentheses is a parenthetical comment humorously appended after a word that might not be expected to be derogatory. So So maybe if you call somebody baby girl, you have to put derogatory (laughs) after it.
1: I meant that as a derogatory statement. I'm just, that's that's the audio way of putting it in parentheses, I suppose.
4: (laughs) Girlie is a lighthearted and affectionate term of address for young women. Mm -hmm. Also used in a broader, more gender inclusive way. Hmm. Kenizance is in this category also. Uh Oh, I like this one. Let someone cook. Allow a person to do something that they are good at without interference.
0: I knew about that one. I like that. (laughs) Yeah,
4: I like that one a lot, too. Okay, let let, let them cook. And the last one is stochastic parrot. Large language model that can generate plausible synthetic text without having any understanding. Like a parrot. Like a parrot. Although parrots, I think, understand some stuff.
1: Do they? I thought they just repeated it. I
0: feel like it's more like that one dude on Twitter who made the weird Olive Garden commercial. Oh. That seems like a stochastic parrot.
5: The menu is here lasagna wings with extra Italy.
1: I shall eat Italian, citizens. It's used AI to generate this crazy thing. My mouth is full of soup. Well, thank you, Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster and from your other organization that you're a member of there, the American Dialect Society. Well done on this uh, word. I wonder, I'm almost afraid to think of what the political word of 2024 is going to be when we have this conversation next year, I hope. But uh, I'll also say... Next week, Penelope from Shelburne Falls sent us a question for the word nerd, and we'll get to that next week. If you have a question for the word nerd that you want addressed linguistically, you can send it to us here, thefab413 at anypm.org.
0: Yeah, glomp onto our inbox.
1: Thank you, Emily Brewster. Oh, you're
0: so
5: welcome. Happy New Year.
0: Up next, an interfaith concert at a church in Haydenville where the community will sing and grieve for Gaza. We'll chat with the music director from the church who is behind the event, Mayor Berger.
1: You're listening to The Fabulous 413
4: on 88.5 NEPM. The fabulous
1: 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com.
0: Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khaleesi Smith.
1: And I'm Monty Belmonte. This Saturday afternoon at Haydenville Congregational Church, sing and grieve for Gaza. The church's music director, Mayor Berger, will lead an interfaith song circle to mourn the continuing loss of life and ongoing devastation of Gaza.
0: She will be joined by other singers in easy to learn songs. Free will donations will be accepted with proceeds to aid humanitarian efforts in Gaza. Joining us is the music director at Haydenville Congregational, Mayor Berger.
6: Hi. Thanks for
1: having me. Thanks for coming. The uh, former editor in chief of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, Jim Foody, who is a congregation uh, member of the congregation, there put. Uh, This event on our radar, although it is also on the NEPM events page right now, uh, despite what it says there, it does not go from 4 p.m. until midnight.
0: (laughs) Although if you find a safe place to sing for peace until midnight, then by all means, like more power to you.
5: Yeah.
1: What I loved about when he reached out to me to tell me about this event and what it says uh, about you is that, you know, you're going to be joined by all sorts of people in the congregation to sing about the rising death toll. In Gaza which breaks everyone's heart I think in one way shape or form but you're not just grieving the loss of Palestinians which is outrageous at this point in numbers but the the Hamas attack too and I think a lot of people feel like they need to choose one side or the other and this using music to say this horrible loss of life and atrocity going on in this New Jersey sized even smaller piece of, of the world It's breaking all of our hearts. And to me, when when I feel that way, what I go to is music. So the idea that this is the way that you're going to be uh, addressing the situation with a congregation that has a reputation for being very uh, socially engaged is wonderful. But you're rather rather new-ish to the congregation, right?
6: Yeah, I've been working there since September. Oh, oh, wow. So very. Yeah. And you
1: came from New York City?
6: Yeah, I was living in Brooklyn for 17 years. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And doing your music there.
6: Mm-hmm. And here, too. Like, you've come here to perform yeah.
0: at the parlor room and other places.
6: Mm-hmm. So,
1: Yeah, what brought you to, what put this uh, part of the world on your map? Um,
6: mostly the beauty and the nature. And it's still pretty close to Brooklyn, so I can go back for shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I have some musician friends that moved out here, and I've always loved the area.
0: How did you become music director at at Haydenville Congregational?
6: Um, I just applied. I um, I really love the idea of working in a spiritual community, and I saw that this is not only a spiritual community, but also very activist centered. And I love doing activism that's uh, framed through a spiritual lens.
1: Mm-hmm. You yourself are Jewish. Yes. And but this is not. It's not a. Jew, it's a congregational right. church. Yeah.
6: I was raised both Catholic and Jewish. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I understand interfaith well. Yeah. So you're, you're
1: inter, <laughs> even if you just you show, right. up, it's an, It is an interfaith uh, exactly. Service, be It was having.
6: very confusing growing up, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening.
1: <laughs> you got all the holidays almost. Yeah, yeah. But, so many of them. But
6: also, I would say
0: in both faiths, there's an awful lot of singing to support mm-hmm. the faith and whichever denomination we're talking totally. about. There's oh, yeah. like the mass as form, and then cantorship as if in Jewish services. So it seems appropriate and fitting that this would be the way to bring community together Mm -hmm. to uh, mourn, really. Um, That's all I have. Yeah,
1: and that's what's going to happen this Saturday afternoon at 4. Sing and Grieve for Gaza at Haydenville Congregational Church in Gaza. The music director, Mayor Berger, is behind uh, this event. Would you play us a song?
6: Yeah, this is a a new original of mine. And um, on Saturday, the congregation who comes is going to sing the chorus along with me. I'm going to teach it in ahead. We pray
5: for the souls that are gone. We mourn all those beautiful lives. And we sing for humanity. that we all may remember our Safety in solidarity, only safety in collective liberation, only safety till we're all. Justice for Gaza bring safety to Jews to you and to me and we Justice safety for all Peace Justice Safety for all Cease fire cease fire now that,
1: that is Mayor Berger who is the music director of Haydenville Congregational Church where this Saturday afternoon there will be a sing a singing and grieving for Gaza starting at 4 p.m. What other songs are going to be at this event?
6: Um, I'm doing a bunch of really short, easily learnable songs. Um, Some are songs that people can then sing at protests, like ceasefire songs, um, ceasefire by the peace poets, um, a ceasefire song by a local musician here, Sol Weiss. Um, And some other songs, there's going to be a guest song leader, Molly Baggett, who's going to sing some of her original Jewish music. Um, and um, Sweet Honey in the Rock. There's a whole range. Some songs just purely for grief, um, grief and water songs, and then songs about hope and light and finding light in this dark time. So hopefully people will leave with a sense of hope and community. Don't well, you have to do both.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I loved about when we were corresponding in your emails is, is your signature is Leonard Cohen, which is, is one of my favorite songs and one of the most powerful ones, and I hope I can read it without crying. Ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And that is my favorite line from Leonard Cohen, and really says so much. Um, can you? I am crying a little bit. Can you? Uh, <laughs> can you play the sweet honey in the rock? Yeah. That definitely. you'll be playing. Also local connections there with uh, <laughs> Evelyn Harris.
5: Where there is light in the soul There is beauty in the person Where there is beauty in the person There is harmony in the home Where there is harmony in the home There is honor in the nation there is honor in the nation. There is peace in the world.
1: Love that. Love it. that one. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Sweet Honey in the Rock, as performed by Mayor Berger, who is the music director of Haydenville Congregational Church, where this event will take place at 4 p.m. on Saturday.
0: How long is the
1: actual event? Because clearly it's not... (laughs) It's not four to midnight. It's not four to midnight. The NEPM website says, but you know, hang out if you need to. Great.
6: It'll be about an hour and a half. We'll do um, singing. There'll be some moments of silence. And then some people are going to be reading poetry by um, Palestinian poets who were killed. Just heartbreaking to listen to.
1: Um th- it's also a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Right? Can you talk a little bit about that?
6: Yeah. So we're going to be raising money for the Middle East Children's Alliance, which is directing um, aid towards Gaza right now, which obviously we just need a permanent ceasefire because they can't bring aid in if there's constant bombing. Um, but we're raising money for that organization and raising awareness, too
0: but it's free will uh, mm-hmm. donation wise so if if you aren't able but just want to come and participate and and be a part of the fellowship then that's
1: available to you as well
6: totally we want everyone to come like, literally, I want the church to be just filled with <laughs> hundreds and <laughs> hundreds of people.
1: <laughs> Mayor Berger, who is the music director of Haydenville Congregational Church in Haydenville, recently came from Brooklyn to live here in Western Massachusetts and was a, a musical performer prior to the time working uh, and being the church director of music here. W- was activism always a part of the music that you were doing, even prior to being in sort of an official capacity in a social justice church organization like Haydenville?
6: Yeah, it's um, I've gone through different phases throughout my life. But um, I for a couple of years, I directed a, a choir for queer and trans people that was specifically singing activism songs. And we would that it happened around 2016. So you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> we were quite busy going to protests then. Huh,
1: I wonder what 2024 yeah, has in store for Shh, you.
6: More singing. Um, what it, I always ask
0: this for people for, who write songs of, of protests, who are drawn to protest songs. What is it about the, the singing the rebellion that draws you?
6: What is it about? Sing- what is
0: it about singing rebellion that draws you?
6: So I just think that music, people can hear music in a way that they can't hear words, and they're softer when experiencing music. So people, if you have an aversion to the cause, you might be able to listen to it if it if it's through a song. And that happened recently. My friend wrote a song in Yiddish, and it's a Yiddish so- solidarity for Palestine song. And people who are like really really pro Israel or are still kind of confused about the war heard it and were really moved by it.
1: Where was that? Was it in Israel itself? or
6: um, No, he, this was in an event in New York City. Mm-hmm. But we're, I'm trying to get him to come and, and sing in a synagogue up here, too.
1: Ah. Very cool. And as we mentioned before, you grew up Jewish and Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, is Does it speak to both sides of your personality to be able to bring the community together in this interfaith way to sing, to to cry out for the destruction of humanity rather than in the different... Avenues that we've put ourselves in, Jewish, Palestinian, Catholic, all of these things.
6: Yeah, I think I've always been pretty because my identity is really open. I've I've been able to just understand all sides. And I think it's the most important thing is that we grieve, that we connect to grief, because right now so many people are just kind of numb to the situation or aren't feeling or are fearful so much of what is happening right now is just a fearful reaction, like bombing and annihilating a region. And so I think if we can tap into our grief and cry, that'll help soften us towards each other. And so, yeah, we have, and we have room in our hearts to grieve everyone. The scale is very different, but then also we can grieve everyone mm. as well. Also, oh, so that's a lesson you can take and apply in a whole lot of other avenues, yeah. just in general.
1: I keep thinking about this and thinking about what would Mr. Rogers do if he were alive right now? And I think singing and grieving, like in a church in Haydenville, Aww. would be like right up there at the top about how he, he would handle oh, it. Oh,
6: I'm so honored. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mayor Berger is the music director at Haydenville Congregational Church, where this Saturday at 4 o'clock, we will sing and grieve for Gaza. Thank you so much.
6: Thanks for having me. Of course.
1: Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, a preview of the celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that will take place at the Mass Mutual Center in Springfield. We'll talk with Martin Luther King Jr. Family Services Executive Director, Shannon Rudder, Calvin Hill from Springfield College, and Eileen McCaffrey from the Community School of Springfield.
0: And Congressman McGovern is back for some McGoverning with McGovern. Got a question for the Congressman? Email us at thefab413
1: at napm.org. Special thanks to spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Mal DeVisa, and the kids. The Beatles, MC Frontalock. And belated happy birthday to a one Mr. Bowie we are hearing now. This is David Bowie from his last album that was released on You're his last birthday again. before he passed away eight years ago <laughs> today. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khaleesi Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.